I guess let's get right into it and let's talk about the new album because there was a rather unusual approach to this uh, because of COVID. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, well, we we came up actually to where I am now. I, I have a cottage on a lake a couple hours northeast of Toronto. We came up here to make a very organic, live off the floor record. My, my cottage doesn't have a studio. We wheeled all the gear in. Control room was in my living room. There were, there's a bass amp was in the bathroom. The amps were in my kids' rooms uh, just to get some isolation. Uh, we recorded a bunch of the songs and then we were going to take a two week break and then go do three more songs with a, a different producer in Toronto, Eric Ratz. And then I don't know if you remember this, but everybody sort of went into a lockdown for an extended period of time. And uh, your old pals, Bare Naked Ladies, did as well. Um, and as weird as that was, it afforded us the luxury of time that we have never had making a record before. And the record took on a whole different life because we had the benefit of listening to it for a couple of months while we couldn't get back in the studio. We ended up making a very different record. And I love where it went. Um, so the record has all of this amazing DNA of playing live off the floor in one room together, but then it has the benefit of time and introspection and getting back in the studios and really kind of fulfilling what the record could be. So we felt like we'd made a real tour de force with this record. And because of the pandemic detour, we called it detour de force. But, you know, <clears throat> I don't even care. I don't care if you're writing a born to run. I mean, I don't think any artist has put out an album and then not later said, oh, I wish I changed this. I wish I had a little more time to do this. I'm sure that's been the case with Bare Naked Ladies in the past. Yeah, absolutely. But I've, I've taken the approach that I feel like a record should be a snapshot, not an oil painting. That's how I've always felt about records. And Though there are things I would do differently on records, they are, I still like them because they're indicative of where we were at at the time. I'm not the guy that wants to go remake stuff or, or do it over again the way I would do it now. I like it being, well, that's where we were at. This record, we had to sit with it for a while and it wasn't done. So it, it afforded us the ability to really rework things and... I think this record really benefited from that. But despite not doing that in the past, it, it I still love those records. You know, as an artist, you're very, you know, most artists are very cerebral and touch in touch with their emotions. When you're going through a pandemic in the in the middle of writing an album, I mean, you say the the album evolved, but does it take on a different feeling as well? Yeah, it does. And because some of these songs really took on new meanings as we went into the pandemic and you know a song like new disaster uh became a lot more relevant when we were all facing a veritable fire hose of bad news all the time <laughs> you know uh it, it and that song is about trying to step out of the blast of bad news um that that we're all kind of addicted to and you know, I think the combination of the 24-hour news cycle and social media 
is just pulling people apart on an emotional level. And we all have to learn our own tolerance level and what is good for our mental health. Like it's one thing to be connected with your old pals from high school and college and stuff. Hey, that's great. I have all this access, but it's sending us all down these weird rabbit holes of conspiracy theories and anti-vaxxers and flat earthers. And how, how do we have flat earthers? <laughs> like, it's amazing. We have access to the accumulated knowledge of mankind and we have people getting stupider because they have access, immediate access to the wrong information and no way to tell it apart from, from good information. Um, I'm looking here at, at some of the tracks here. Um, you've got Flip, uh, New Disaster, Good Life. How would you say these tracks have evolved from your earlier sound? Speaking of Good Life, that dog is living the good life right behind you there on the couch. He's like, this is totally my dog bed. And you know, the, fu the funniest thing is this dog can be a pain in the butt, but every time I'm doing interviews, he just sits there and he just love sleeps. it. I love it. That's great. I have, well, I have two and my daughter lives at home. She's 26 and she has one. So we've had three dogs for the oh, last, man. well, since December. Um, yeah, I love them. So, uh, sorry, sidetrack, good life, new disaster. Flip. I, I just want to, you know, I mean, when you're looking at some of your earlier tracks, like, uh, you know, uh, if I had a million dollars or Brian Wilson, how would you say the sound has one stayed consistent and two evolved into a modern day sound? Well, I think, uh, what I love about this band is that our sound has been really eclectic right from the first record. And, the lyrical content has always been super diverse. You know, the very, it's funny, every review of every Bare Naked Ladies since the first record is, well, this is a more mature record for Bare Naked Ladies because people see us clowning around and in the live shows, there's a lot of spontaneity, a lot of joking around. And that's the, that's the foot we always put forward. And, and every, Every TV appearance, we're hamming and clowning around. So that's what people think of when they think of the band. But our first record in 1991 had songs about gender roles and sexual violence and uh, expectations and heavy emotional journeys, you know. But people think of If I Had a Million Dollars and, and uh, Be My Yoko Ono. But you touched on Brian Wilson. Like, that's a heavy song. You know, um, and it's been there right from the beginning. I think what has always been so liberating about this band is the the adventurousness and the fearlessness to just write about anything and serve the song. So sometimes we sound like, you know, a Cuban-American bossa nova inspired acoustic uh, group. And then sometimes it's very hip hop influenced and uh we just like we love music and and everybody brings their own kind of brush strokes uh when we're recording and when we're playing live so i think that's you know it's sort of a double-edged sword it made it hard for the band to break in america because it was it wasn't easy to define what we were and i think it confused a lot of people but ultimately we have always had the freedom to 
write all kinds of music and perform in all different kinds of ways. So that's way better than being easy to explain, I think. And, and I think because you're non-conforming when it comes to that, that genre, um, you know, um, well, I don't even know where I was going with this. Well, I had something, uh, but one track in particular uh, that I know it's not a single, but I, I'm really digging the song Live Well. And oh, you talk thanks. about hip hop, you talk about all these other uh, genres that you may experiment with, but I get a real like old school singer songwriter, like Crosby, Stills and Nash vibe with this song. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge Neil Young fan. I stole one of my favorite chords. Uh, the second chord in the chorus is the first chord from Neil Young's Old Man. I've always loved that chord. Wow. Um, I'm a huge fan of his. And, you know, I learned five or six Neil Young songs when I was about 12 years old, just to impress my older brothers who were super into Neil Young and the Who and stuff. So most of the first songs I learned on guitar were just to get the approval of my older brothers, you know, <laughs> but uh, I became a big Neil Young fan and it took me 35 years of writing songs to write a song like Live Well, which is more indicative of the reason I really started learning to play guitar from that almost country influenced singer songwriter place. And Live Well's a very vulnerable song. You know, it's, it's about growing up in an alcoholic household, not feeling safe, um, not feeling looked out for, feeling alone despite being, it's a very raw song. And when I presented it to the guys, I, I remember Ty taking me aside and he went, dude, Live Well might be your best song. Like, and Ty is my biggest fan. Our drummer, Tyler Stewart, is the biggest Bare Naked Ladies cheerleader in the world. And in particular, even after all this time, he loves our songs. He loves my songs. And that's the most important feedback to me. I, I often say, like, I'm not, I'm not doing this for radio play or, or you know, sales or chart numbers or awards or whatever there's three people i'm trying to impress and they're all in my band you know and so that's that's a great moment when i deliver a bunch of songs and the guys are just like dude we love this let's get to work so yeah it's awesome so i so i wasn't wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah you were not wrong yeah I, I, when i was listening to the album I, that track came on i'm like "Ooh, this is a good one and i, I went back and I'm, I'm, i had to replay it and listen to it i'm like oh this is this is good I, I love that song and both both ty and kev have sef separately told me that it's their favorite song i've ever written wow that yeah. is that's that's something like 33 years into working with a band you know um, I really love this record and I love the bombastic stuff like Rollout and, and Good Life. Um, but the quieter moments like Man Made Lake and, and Live Well, I feel are, are some of our best work. So I'm, I'm super proud of it. That's awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Greek theater. It seems like you're a perennial act at the Greek theater. Whenever you're on tour, you have to hit up the Greek. What is it about that venue? It's one of the greatest venues in America. I mean, we, we always love 
to be in LA because we've got friends there. And of course it's a cool place. <laughs> um, so yeah. And the Greek is just the right size venue and it's location on the park there. And it's just a special place. I, uh, it's an iconic venue. We've had so many great shows there over the years. Um, yeah. It's just, it's since the first time we played there, it's held a special place in our hearts it's it's a great venue do you remember the first time you played there oh god yeah <laughs> um yeah i i'm weird like that though like i remember every show like if someone tells me a detail about a show i'll be like oh yeah that was winter park we played with dave matthews yeah i remember that they're like how do you remember that one show but there's there's like, I can't remember what I'm supposed to pick up at the grocery store, but I can remember shows from 20 years ago and specifics about them. Um, you know, but it's weird that it's not always the show that I remember. It's things about the venue, like the wonderful Scottish woman that cooks the food at the Greek theater and is so lovely to all the bands that come through there. She's not there anymore. The last time we played there, she, I don't know if she retired, uh, but that's what I remember about the first time playing the Greek was that woman and how well she took care of us and what a delight it was in the mid, like, cause touring can be a real grind. So when you get someone that is invested in making sure you have a nice day and that you eat well and, you're looked after. It's like, that's what I think about when I think about the Greek theater. I think about that lovely Scottish woman. <laughs> you think about being, you know, accommodations and hospitality yeah. and it warmth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that's awesome. So, uh, so from a, from a musician standpoint for a guy who's been cooped up for a year and a half, what's this going to be like when you're finally out on the road playing in front of fans? Uh, it has been incredible to be at home this long. And so I'm, despite the high-tech background of pinball machines, I'm out in the middle of nowhere on a beautiful lake in Northern Ontario. Like I'm a 25 minute drive to a grocery store, a hardware store through nothing but forests. Like I'm super isolated here. And this is a place that my wife and I bought in 1998 or 99. And I get to spend a week here or there. And sometimes if I'm lucky, I got to spend, you know, three or four weeks here at a time. And now I've been here for a year and a half. And I thought maybe one day I might get to retire and spend a, a long time here. And now I got to do it you know, when my kids are 20, 22 and 25, perfect time in their lives to like spend a whole bunch of time with them. It's been amazing. But actually Tyler, the drummer of the band just left here. He and his wife, Jill and their daughter, Carmen came overnight. So like one of our first visitors we've had to the cottage and it was so great to see him and have him here. Um, I'm ready to come out of this cocoon as much as I have loved isolating and uh, 
you know, spending all this time in nature, in the forest, on the lake, I'm ready to rock. <laughs> you know, we've done a few things. We did a holiday special and then we did a live special in the spring from a, a, a theater in Toronto um, where we did a one hour live set. And it, it just reminded me of everything that's amazing about being in a band that's not the shows and the audiences and the travel. All of that's great. Like, I love, I love our career. Like, I love going out and playing shows. I love touring. But more than all of that, I love hanging out with the guys. Like, being in a band is so much cooler than just playing shows and, and writing songs and stuff. It's like your favorite people. You know those people that you don't get together with often enough that are like childhood buddies. You grew up together, but your lives have gone different ways or whatever. I work with those guys, you know, I hang out with them and it's like being back in high school. Um, so it's a blast. And I'm looking forward to that part of it. Just hanging with the guys, having fun, doing shows. Cause We've got nothing to prove anymore, you know, like we've got all the awards and the accolades any band could ever hope for. Now we can just go out and do shows for the sake of doing shows and seeing our fans and singing our songs. And it's very liberating and super rewarding. Um, you know, people sometimes ask, like, well, is it the same as, you know, in the stunt days, you guys were like on top of the world and. All of that is actually kind of stressful, you know, uh, when there's 50 people on the crew and six buses and three trucks and it's just everything is amped up, including the stress. When you get to the level where we are now and we're playing big festivals and we're doing our own shows um, on our own terms when we want, it's just like it's more chill and I'm enjoying it more than ever like it's it doesn't have the same stresses but it has all of the same joys and thrills of being in a band wow that's really cool to hear <laughs> <laughs> um i i just had a, a quick question i'm uh, i have a beatles podcast when i read that paul mccartney gave you guys a ringing endorsement as one of his favorite bands what was your reaction when you first heard that I thought he must have been so high when he said that or that he maybe maybe he hadn't listened to the Beatles in a while and and remembered, oh, yeah, we were actually uh, probably the best. <laughs> um, he even he even went as far as to say that his harmonies with John could never compare to what you guys have had. Yeah, I think he's nuts. If if he said that, he's nuts because um, the Beatles wrote the alphabet of pop music and we're all just using their letters to make words you know they it's amazing they did everything that was acceptable to do in a modern pop song they did it first and they did it in the span of like six months <laughs> you know it's insane like they are they're the blueprint man and uh i'm still a little bit incredulous that paul said anything like that with relation to my band but if he did sir paul we are in your debt as every modern uh songwriter is um yeah 
they're the best. And now he's got to hear live well. Yeah. Yeah, he does. You know, uh, it's funny because I, I think of Neil Young when I think of live well, and I think of doing Neil Young's bridge school benefit concert. Um, and we're hanging out at Neil's ranch, uh, the night before the show, totally having an amazing time. And Neil's house is like a Neil Young museum in the way that there's just, you know, snapshots of like him recording with CSNY or, you know, it's just his stuff is just laying around. Right. So I got nosy and I lifted up the piano bench and I was just thinking, Oh, I wonder what sheet music is in Neil Young's, you know, does he have like the collected works of Bob Dylan or, or the Beatles songbook? What's going to be in here. I lift up the piano bench and there's a handwritten note from Paul McCartney saying how much he and Linda are enjoying harvest. And thank you for a beautiful record. You know, he probably opened that letter and read it in 1974 and then tucked it in his piano bench and hasn't thought of it since. Um, and then Neil walked in the room. I'm like quickly slammed the piano bench down again. And he goes, you guys okay? You need anything? And I said, Neil, I hope you don't mind, but I've, I've pocketed a few souvenirs uh, just uh, for memories of the trip here. And he didn't skip a beat. He just goes, oh, do you want a gym bag or something to carry it all in? <laughs> I now wish I had just folded up that letter from Paul McCartney and tucked it into my <laughs> jacket. Because Neil, he, I'm sure he still doesn't know it's there. It, well, and then hearing that story and then <laughs> imagining yourself at 14 years old telling your brothers that this is going to be my future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. That's and, and that has been one of the most surreal and amazing parts of the journey is that everybody that I really admired, like there's lots of bands and artists that I was into over the years, but there are some people that like Neil Young, um, that Willie Nelson, that are on a pedestal for me as writers and performers. Meeting them was like climbing to the mountaintop and getting a moment with the cross-legged guru. And my, the time I got to spend with those people, in every case, everyone that I looked up to exceeded my expectations by so like unfathomably far and made me feel like a peer and like just another person that was a musician. And, you know, I, I was asking Willie Nelson about specific lines in songs that he'd written 45 years ago. And he's immediately telling me, oh, yeah, I, that came from a conversation I had with Lefty Frizzell one time. And, you know, he said this thing to a guy that was annoying him in a bar, you know, just little things like that. And I just thought, wow, like they, my heroes humanized themselves in a matter of moments. And it just became like uh, a great hang, you know, and. I've never asked any of those people I got to meet for a photo or an autograph or anything because just meeting and talking to them was better than I, I could have imagined. You know, Ed, that's kind of how I feel with this conversation. I, I, you're super. Oh, cool, Doug, man. come on. 
you're you're really 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 down to earth and super cool man it's, it's a pleasure speaking with you oh you too um so uh i if, is there anything else you want to add no man i'm i'm i can't wait to get this record out i'm so proud of it um i'm so looking forward to getting back out and doing shows for people it's always been the lifeblood of our band you know is the live show it's it's what built our relationship with our audience and i've missed it i've really missed it as as much as i've loved the break i can't wait to get back hey thank you for joining us and uh, don't forget detour de force out friday that's the 16th yes awesome ed take a detour time. to wherever you get your music <laughs>